0: Our text this morning is Psalm 62, 5 through 8, and you'll find a copy of that in your bulletin. Uh, You may not need to even look at it. It is one of our memory verses uh, that's been cycled through uh, the process here in our memorization work, and it's a Psalm of David. And David writes this. He says, I get here. I don't need that. My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. He only is our rock and our salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is a refuge for us. Well, there are many things in this life that are sureties, We know a couple of them. We say there's nothing sure but death and taxes, uh, but there are some beyond that. And one of the things that we can be uh, assured of is is that we will have trouble. Um, In James chapter 1, he says, Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. He doesn't say if you're going to encounter them. He says when. Uh, there really are only two t- two kinds of people in this world those that are going through the deep waters right now and those that will be soon um you know in addition to all the day-to-day problems that you and i face you know there might be financial issues there might be health issues there might be relational issues there might be tension between you and and other people these are things that that we deal with these are troubles uh, but in addition to that I think we are living at a rather unique uh, moment in history, particularly our nation's history. I think I'm comfortable in saying that. Um, We see a lot of uh, stresses that are placed upon us, a stress test, if you will, by our culture and what is happening in our society today. We see economic chaos. Uh, We see something that this country has never witnessed, and that is an unfettered focus on me and what makes me fulfilled and what makes me happy and so on. And so much so that throughout our culture and our society today, we see the same attitude that I don't care what is best for my country or for my city or... For my local area or anything else, I want to know what I can extract from the system so that I can be served. Unfettered focus on me and what I want. It's all about me, and we tend to disregard what the consequences might be for anyone else. Uh, morally, our society uh, seems unable to chart a course Uh, It seems more like we are a a society that would be uh, like a cork that is just thrown in the ocean or in a swimming pool or something like that. It's just moving back and forth, and there's no sense of stability or direction in any way. And so we have witnessed in our culture and our society um, great changes in attitudes. Uh, We see Things that were perhaps 15 or 20 years ago would be considered deviant and undesirable. Now, largely, they, some of these things are accepted as normal and even virtuous. On one hand, we see hundreds of thousands of dollars being spent to rescue and save a baby that may be born prematurely. And we rightly should be doing that. On the one hand we see that, and on the other hand, we see that same woman could have gone to an abortion clinic and aborted that little baby, and that little baby would be considered medical waste and it would be destroyed. All of this places a lot of stress on us, and we are in a stress test as a as a as a culture and economy and as a as a group of people here and as Christians, we are under great stress. Um, despite the stresses that you and I may face and all these things and many more that we could talk about, I don't think they begin to compare with the stress test that David was experiencing when this psalm was written. Uh, scholars would say that David wrote this psalm while he was being pursued by his son Absalom. Now Absalom just didn't want to take David's kingdom... He was after David's life. Now, those of us parents are very proud of our children. We're grateful for them. We love them. We care deeply about them. And I can think of nothing worse than to think that my child was out to kill me. Can you imagine anything worse than that? I can't imagine that. That my child hated me enough to want to kill me. David faced a great stress test, if you will. And how he responded to that stress test, we can learn much from as to how we will handle the stresses that we face in our life. We can learn from that. David referred to himself as a leaning wall and a tottering fence, and he was on the edge. But he chose how he would respond to the stresses that he was facing. David wrote this. He says, My soul, wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. The first thing that David is going to do in our text today is he is going to preach a sermon to himself. Now, if you've been in uh, Rick Beach's uh, Sunday school class recently, or you've read books by C.J. Mahaney, or you've been listening to KNIS radio uh, on Wednesday nights and it may air at other times too there's a series being uh, uh, delivered by the pastor of coral ridge presbyterian church in florida whose name i cannot begin to pronounce he took dr james kennedy's place and he's delivered a series of messages and in there he talks about preaching a sermon to himself and and one of the things he says changed my life he says is when i realized that my growth and my maturing in the Christian faith was not dependent on getting something I didn't have, but rather appropriating and utilizing the things I already possessed. And he said, preaching that to myself changed my life. Preaching a sermon to yourself is not unique to the situation that David was facing. Paul would do it. Um, Turn with me real quickly to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And go to verse 31. He says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, will He not also with Him freely give us all things, and then he goes down at the end. The most, most uh, familiar part. He says, "Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, we, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us." For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Us, we, I. He is preaching this sermon not just to those who may be listening. He's preaching it to himself. And this is the first thing that David is going to do. He's going to preach a sermon to himself. He says, My soul... Wait in silence for God only. This phrase, wait in silence, is a very interesting one. Uh, In a sense, what does it mean? Does it mean to crawl in a corner or hide in a cave and just stay there until the coast is clear? No. It's not what David is saying. David is saying, you know what? I'm going to wait in silence because I want to be aware of what God is going to be doing. I want to be anxious in my anticipation and watching... And seeing what God is going to accomplish here, I'm going to wait in silence. You know, the best communicators are also the best listeners. And David wanted to be communicating with God, and he wanted to be listening and seeing what God would have in store for him, how He would deliver him. Preach a sermon to himself. My soul, wait in silence for God only. Now, question: Who here likes to wait? See your hands. I like to wait. I like to wait if somebody's going to be drilling on my teeth. Or if I have to take one of those tests, you know, that you're supposed to do when you get a little older. You have to drink that stuff and the night before and all that. I I want to wait. I can wait for that. But as far as if I'm in pain, if I need to be rescued or delivered, time stands still. And I want things on my time schedule. I do not want to wait. I want things right now. And David says this, wait in silence for God only. For my hope is Him. You see, you don't wait for somebody you don't trust. You don't wait for somebody that you don't think they're reliable or dependable or honorable. You know, some years ago, I had the foolish idea that when people said, I'll call you right back that they actually meant that. And I found that for some people, call you right back might mean, you mean in you know three or four hours. Some people might mean a couple days. Some people it might never call you back. And so I quit waiting by the phone, expecting that. Now there are certain people that if they told me, I'm going to call you right back. Many of you in here, if you told me you're going to call me right back, I'm going to hang out by the phone. I'm going to be right there. Otherwise, you know what? I'm walking on and I'm going, to go, I'm going to just going to just do my day, whatever I have to do. You only wait for somebody that you have confidence and trust in. And David says, "My soul wait in confidence for God only. who has the credibility or the confidence and the trust that God has? Only him. Only him. He says, "My soul wait in silence for God only." he's the only one that could command all that from us. You know, we only wait for somebody we trust. Jeremiah 17 verse 7, Jeremiah wrote this. He says, "Blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord." Says for this. He says, "For he shall be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots to a stream and he will not fear when the heat comes." But its leaves will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and his trust is the Lord. And what will that man look like? How will that man handle the stress test? Jeremiah says he will not fear when the heat comes. You know, when the pressure is being applied in our life and we're under a lot of stress, how will we respond? If our trust is the Lord, here's what he says will happen. He says the leaves will be green and it will be anxious in a year of drought. He says, nor cease to yield fruit. How many times are we paralyzed by anxiety and fear? If our trust is in the Lord and our trust is the Lord. We will continue, even under those times of stress, to yield fruit, to be productive, not be paralyzed by anxiety or fear. My soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from Him. What is the one essential element that you and I must have to go through trials in life? One essential element is hope. We have to believe down to our core not just some wishful thinking kind of thing you know not like well if i buy this lottery ticket man i hope my financial troubles will be over that one in a million shot that might be just a you know just random chance so to speak that's not the kind of hope we're talking about what is needed is the kind of hope that we actually believe that we actually know will come to pass that is what we need to get through. Any crisis that you and I may be facing, you know, that, that's, uh, that old saying, it says, all's well that ends well. Very true, isn't it? And if we you and I see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, we can go through a lot. All's well that ends well. You know, he says, my soul wait in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. If, if the source of our hope is reliable and, ten- and dependable and trustworthy, we can get through a lot. We can, we can pass that stress test, if you will. He says, verse 6, he says, He only is my rock, my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. He says he's his rock. That's that that firm foundation. That's, that's something that won't give way. That's dependable. That's reliable. That's steady. But he says something else. He doesn't say he only is the rock. He doesn't say that. He says he only is the My rock. He is my salvation. He is my hope. He is my stronghold. It's just not some arbitrary or academic concept or idea that David is talking about. He possesses this. This is his. It's real and it's personal. It's my rock. My salvation. My stronghold. He says, He only is my salvation. He only is my salvation. Salvation to no one else. You know, Old Testament saints were saved the same way New Testament saints are saved. And that's that concept and understanding that they're saved by grace through faith. And they understand that it's not because of the things that they have done. It's in spite of the things that they have done look at david's track record what does that look like david's track record doesn't look too good does it he's an adulterer and a murderer how much more do you want he understands that salvation is not from him it's a gift from god and you must come to the come to the point david had to come to the point that he understood that he needed a redeemer of course he couldn't have known who jesus was but he lived with the understanding that he needed to be redeemed, and it was God that would do the redemption. He only is my salvation. There is no one else. You talk about Awana here, and we had the wards today, and many of you are familiar with the Awana program. One of the first verses that kids will learn in Awana is Acts 4.12, and it says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Now, several years ago, a movie came out, Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson uh, movie, and that movie, Hollywood wanted nothing to do with it. The music or the movie industry wanted nothing to do with it. They didn't think it would be successful. They didn't want to invest their money in something that was a just a hole in the ground. So Mel Gibson had to arrange for all the. Uh, the financial arrangements that needed to ha- happen in order for this film to be produced. Well, lo and behold, it becomes a huge success and earned millions upon millions of dollars and earned Mel Gibson a lot of notoriety for having produced this movie and had a lot of interviews on TV and all this sort of thing. Well, I remember watching an interview with Mel Gibson after his movie came out and they are talking about various parts of it and so on and so forth. And then finally... The interviewer asked Mel Gibson the key question, and that question was this. He says, did he believe that Christianity was the only way to be saved or to be in heaven? I can't remember exactly the way the, wo- the question was worded. And I thought, yes, here's our chance. Because if you remember in the movie, it was all subtitled. All subtitled because the, the actors, supposedly they spoke Aramaic. Couldn't prove it by me, but they spoke a language I didn't understand, and it was so it was all subtitled in there. And in the movie, you know, one of the passages where, where Jesus was speaking, there he says, "I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me." And I thought, yeah, here's Mel Gibson on national TV. He can say it. Unfortunately, Mel Gibson says, "Well, I believe he's the best way, not the only way." Now I'm sorry. He's not the best way. He's not the worst way. He is the only way. There is no other way. And David said, He only is my salvation. He only, my rock. He says, He only is my stronghold. That's a military term, and that's that place where you can feel safe. That's that place where you can feel secure, where you're protected, where nothing can harm you. In my mind, I think of um, back in world war ii and they had these pillboxes. these were these concrete structures were many feet thick of concrete that was reinforced by steel and those things if you were inside you could pretty well take a, a hit from almost any shell or artillery thing and you would be safe inside and that's the kind of thing that david says is that god was his stronghold he would not be shaken as a in that s- secure and impenetrable fortress says, I will not be shaking. Nothing was going to change what David believed about all this, that God was his hope, that God was his salvation, that God was his stronghold. Nothing would change his mind about that. That was fixed and was set. Now, World War II, for most of us, if we thought about World War II, who do we consider the central figure? world war II was wasn't churchill wasn't fdr wasn't stalin it was hitler and it's not often that a person can use hitler in a sermon but i'm using him today because if nothing else hitler was determined he might say he was stubborn or obstinate but once hitler had made up his mind nothing was going to change it now this would prove to be very valuable to hitler In the courses of the war, in certain areas, he won great battles where his generals uh, lacked the resolve, if you will, to press ahead. Hitler would not give. He would not retreat, and he would go forward, and he would win many victories because of this doggedness that he had. But ultimately, it would lead to the defeat of Germany because, I believe anyway, that Germany's chance to win World War II was lost at Stalingrad. And at Stalingrad, his generals and advisors told him, you got to back up, you got to regroup, and then we'll, yeah, we'll get reinforcements and so on, and then we'll go back again and, and go after it, and we can be victorious. Hitler would hear nothing of that. You do not give up one inch. You do not retreat, uh, withdraw in any way. You stay put. Well, that led to the capture and killing of hundreds of thousands of German soldiers. And ultimately, any chance that Germany had to win the war after Stalingrad was over. Well, Hitler had a saying. He said, it is my unshakable conviction that they should remain in Stalingrad. His unshakable conviction. David had that same type of resolve. It was his unshakable conviction that God was his hope, his stronghold, his salvation. Everything was from him. That was his unshakable conviction. My soul waiting in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Then he goes on in verse 8 and he says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. Now, David is switching his focus. He's not going to just preach to himself. He's preaching to everybody else right now. And he says this. He says, Trust in Him at all time, O people. Our faith, the Christian faith, is all about trust. Every last little bit is about trust. Do you and I really believe what God tells us? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that... We can be saved if we've called upon God for mercy to forgive us. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that Jesus died and paid that penalty for what we've done? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe His promises? It's all about trust. It's all about trust. Uh, Warren Wiersbe puts it this way. He says, talking about salvation now, he says... God simply wants to be believed. Do you want to be believed? I'd like to think I hold that in. In. in uh, you know, this is, you know, one of the things I look most upon. I think people think that when I tell them something, it's the truth. I like to think that people view me as a trustworthy individual. If what I've told them, hey, that's the way it is, right? Who here wants to be known as a liar? Nobody did I know. God simply wants to be believed. David says, trust in Him at all times, O people. Who do you trust? Is God reliable? Is He dependable? Is He worthy of our trust? Trust is the greatest form of worship because we show for all to see that we really believe He is who He says He is. Trust in Him at all times, so people... He says, pour out your hearts before Him. What's He telling them? Pray. Pray. Do you hear... Do, do I? Do we believe that God is a God who answers prayer? Do we believe that? We've seen so many miracles of God and His answers to prayer over the last year in this church... Uh, It's incredible. Now, we see a lot of miracles day to day that we just choose to ignore. You know, I cut my finger and it heals up. That's a miracle. I'll guarantee you right now we have one of the loaders on the dairy that's got an oil leak in the differential. And one thing I can tell you for sure is that oil leak will not solve itself. Now, it'll stop leaking all right. When all the oil has run out and the the rear differential burns up, it will not heal itself. Every act of healing is a miracle, and all healing comes from God. We understand that, but there are some things that are more visible and more dramatic than others. And when essentially God just overrules the medical community, and we've seen that in this church over the last period of months, We've seen God work in the answer to prayer. How about the little baby, little premature baby, little Jameson? The doctor said the only way that little child is going to be able to open his eyes is to have a surgical procedure done on him. God didn't listen to the surgeons or the doctors. He opened his eyes on his own. How about Nancy Crawford? Doctor said she would not walk again after her stroke. That she would be paralyzed. And there were those in this church that said, no, I don't think that's necessarily the case. And that we will give God no peace until she walks through those doors. When did that happen? Two months ago? How about Sarah Swenson standing up in her brother's wedding? Sam referred to her as her miracle sister. Does God hear us and answer prayers? Unequivocally, yes. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? David says, trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before Him. What is he talking about there? Pouring out your hearts. Is he talking about some sort of mechanical recitation that you might do? Something you say, you know. Jesus said, you know, avoid vain repetition. You know, we're not going to impress God with our, uh, all their number of words and this sort of thing. You know, Dave says, pour out your heart. He wants to hear what's inside. Now, he already knows it, but he wants to hear it from you. He wants to hear it from me. He said, pour out your hearts before him. He wants to know what comes from down here. You know, excuse me, uh, our anniversary, Valentine's anniversary, is coming up in November. And at that time on our anniversary day, if I come up to her and I say, Oh, how I love you. You are the best thing that's ever happened to my life. Oh, how I love you. You are the best thing that's ever happened to my life. What kind of response am I going to get from that? This is not going to have the desired result. She wants to hear what comes from my heart. God wants to hear what comes from your heart. Pour out your hearts to Him at all times, O so people. God is that refuge for us. Ray Steadman said this, Worship is all about your honest expression of your heart to God. So, pray, 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 pray. So the question is this, is when you and I are being put to the stress test, How do we how do we respond to that? Who or what are you trusting in who or what is your hope who or what is your stronghold you know are you trusting in your 401k are you trusting in your bank account are we trusting in our government are we trusting in our leaders are we trusting in God? Do we believe He is who He says He is? Who are we trusting in? Who or what is our stronghold? Who what is our hope? Back in Jeremiah 17, prior to the verses we read earlier, Jeremiah said this. He says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord, for he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness. That's quite a graphic picture, isn't it? Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. That description, stony waste in the wilderness, it doesn't take too much of an imagination to see that as a country, that is where we are headed. And it may be in two or three generations, the United States, as you and I know it, is not recognizable. It could be reduced to a stony waste in the wilderness. Or do you think, do you think that God speaks idly when He says, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind? What portion of our leadership throughout our country from the highest level on down actually trust in god and who trusts in man oh they place great confidence in their financial advisors and their scientists and so on but the one who says one who says no i really i really want to trust god and i want to want to see what would please him and make my determinations and make my judgments and my rulings based on that how many do those that the few that do We'll be ridiculed, primarily. Unfortunately, too much of our country trusts in mankind. And Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord. (laughs) This is not Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. Well, where is your trust? Where is my trust? You know, when we are facing the stress test, what is our response? Um, You know, we are very, very fortunate to have KNIS Radio in this community. I've said it once, I've said it many, many times, and I continue to say it. It is such a wonderful resource for us. What an anchor of sound teaching and good music, one that edifies edifies the soul and, and, and pleases God, I believe. What a wonderful station we have, KNIS Radio and the Pilgrim Radio Network. And Tom Hess, who is the station manager, sends a newsletter out about every month or two. I'm not sure exactly the frequency. But he was sent one here a month or so ago, two months months ago maybe. And I want to read you a portion of it. Tom Hess writes this. He says, These days I'm becoming increasingly dismayed by the direction we're moving in. It's an uncomfortable time. Our world is truly in a state of major upheaval. Pessimist, you say? If I have to be labeled, I would prefer realist. But when it comes to the promises God has made to those who love him, I'm an optimist. I know he will make good on all his promises. He goes on, he says, the collapsing of economies by incompetence or design hasn't dawned yet on those who control the levers of government. The fog all of the world's leaders are in, along with their disregard for consequences, is truly astonishing and disheartening. Many of us don't feel much at home here anymore. He says, I guess that's why God's word appears so hopeful and luminous to us right now. Listen to this from Psalm 91. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, for He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Do you believe God? Do you trust Him? Do you believe His promises? He has promises. we Romans 8.28 We've heard it time and time again. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love Him and are called according to His purposes. Do you love God? Do you trust Him? Then the future is bright. And through those times where the heat is turned up, you don't need to wilt. You don't need to welt, and you can, you can still be productive. Fear and anxiety will not paralyze you, because you abide. He'll give us abide in the shadow of the Almighty, and He will give us angels charge over us to bless us and keep us. Let's pray, Father. Thank you for this great encouraging word. We praise you for your goodness. We praise you for who you are, and the trustworthy person, and God, and loyal, and loving, and and and. and and passionate, and patient, and forgiving, and and kind, and generous, all these things you are. We thank you for your promises. Father, help us to believe them. Help us to appreciate the things that we already own as your children and your heirs. We praise you and love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.